If you have your Bibles, I'll get to work. Open up to Luke chapter 7. Um, this last week we had uh, our first week of um, being a part of the, the, the prayer vigil that's going on in Sacramento and the 24-hour prayer that churches are partnering with throughout the Sacramento region. We played you a few clips of that and promotion of it. And so Wednesday, this last Wednesday from 9 in the morning till Thursday at 9 in the morning, we just opened our church up for prayer and uh, different people came at different times as they were available. But in talking it over, we really feel that this is something that we'll continue to do for our church is that we'll keep one day a month uh, just open one Wednesday a month, that third Wednesday, continue to have 24 hours of prayer. Um, Jesus said it like this, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And probably the, the greatest missing ingredient in the church is prayer. I mean, actually praying. We can uh, talk about it. So far today, we've sung, we've given announcements, and we've given more time to promote to promotion or events and things than we've given to actually calling upon the name of the Lord. Are you with me? And prayer, God does nothing except in response to prayer or in answer to prayer. And he says, if my people who are called by my name will pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. And so we have this great opportunity. And God said, uh, I just felt God showing that we would do this. We could have signed up for one day out of the year do what everybody else is doing and just sign up say we'll we'll host it one day we'll be one church that hosts one day and hopefully you'll get 365 churches to get on board so we can do it every day for a year but I said well can we do it once a month and Pastor Ted said yeah that's awesome and uh, but I just feel that and even our Sunday night prayer we've been praying on Sunday nights for almost six years and uh, there's something powerful that happens when we pray and when we pray corporately, and it's not always about just our personal needs, but learning to come and be, to, to intercede before God, to lift up the needs of others. Would you agree? And so I, I'm a, I have this interjected in the message, but driving up, uh, the Lord prompted me um, Wednesday night driving up. I came up and did the, the session from uh, 9 a.m. to 1 a.m. in the morning, and uh, on the way driving up the hill, the Lord spoke to me about this message and to preach this again. I preached it four years ago, and uh, it, it just was something that there's some points in here that are relevant and change that needs to happen in my life. After you've served God, it doesn't matter how long you've served God, please don't throw an anchor down someplace. In serving God, please don't throw your anchor out off the side. But, but keep moving with God. Keep your course charted. Keep your boat moving. Keep your, your life on course with what God has for your life. Don't be content to stop somewhere in the journey or in the process. Don't wake up one day and say, I'm saved enough. Amen. I, I'm good to go. I, I'm saved. I know if, you know, I, I love that. And we use that in altar call. Do you know today you would go to heaven? Yes, but I'm not sure about tomorrow. Amen, because every day brings temptations, and, and, and in that whole thing, you and I have to keep pressing. Greater people than us have missed the mark. Amen? Stronger people. I, I, I've read God's generals and different peoples and things, and you see people, how did they start so well and finish so poorly? 
And so I, I don't want to be in that company. Amen. I want to finish well. And God has it. I don't know about you, but God has this great way in my life of showing me to me. And, and showing me the areas where I need to press and I need to push. So this morning, uh, I felt the Lord leading this area. Look at the cover of your outline. Then we're going to read through this story. There are so many different times in our lives when we wish we could take a do-over. Anybody ever feel like that? Could I get another shot at that? Could I do that again? Uh, in golf, when we play golf, we like to call them mulligans. And when Austin was out, Sean and Austin and, uh, and I got to go and play with a, a gentleman uh, up at Apple Mountain. And we had lots of do-overs in that round of golf. None of us had played for very long. And, uh, you know, you think you remember, but your body has forgotten. So your brain and your body have no communication with each other. And uh, so things go awry. So in golf, we call them mulligans or second chances, and I'm not sure who the guy is that got a bad shot named after him, but I guess he deserved another chance, or at least he was always asking for one. This is my friend Mulligan, and every time you play, hey, I get another chance. All right, cool. It means this, a mulligan means it means the mistake that was made will not count against my final score. It means the mistake that was just made will not count against my final score. Could I tell you that's a great definition of God's grace for our life. That the mistake that was made will not count against the final score. And I wish I could tell you as a Christian that once you are saved and once you are born again, you will never make a mistake. But thank God, God says, hey... I have grace for your life. You get another chance. That mistake will not count against your final score. If you learn to repent, if you ask for grace, if you ask for forgiveness, God said, I'll cover that. I'll erase that off. It will be as if it didn't happen. Go ahead and take another shot. Aim it again. I'm sure the next time you'll get it right. Because God wants you to score well. He wants you to end well. He wants you to finish well. We even give them to ourselves in many cases in life. How many ever gave yourself a chance when nobody else would? Amen. We have the excuse already made up and the line of reasoning and justification well developed and thought out. There are many places that second chances can work. But in most cases, you need to get it right the first time. There are some areas of life that we will not get the opportunity to try again. Look with me, if you would, at uh, Luke chapter 7 and beginning, if you would, in, let me get to there, in the 36th verse. It says, the Pharisee invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to the Pharisee's home and got ready to eat. And when a sinful woman in the town found out that Jesus was there, she brought an expensive bottle of perfume then she came and stood behind Jesus. She cried, excuse me, cried and started washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. The woman kissed his feet and poured the perfume on them. The Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this and said to himself, If this man really were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He would know that she is a sinner. And Jesus said to the Pharisee, Simon... I have something to say to you. Now, every time I've read my Bible and I go through this, when, James, when Jesus approaches somebody like this, most of what follows isn't that encouraging. <laughs> Verse 41. Teacher, what is it? Simon replied. Jesus told him two people were in debt to a moneylender. One of them owed him 500 
silver coins. And that's there, a denarius or a silver coin there, it would be equal to a day's wages. One person was in debt for 500 days wages, the other for 50 days wages. Since neither of them could pay him back, the money lender said that they didn't have to pay him back. Which one of them will like him more? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one who owed more and didn't have to pay it back. You're right, Jesus said. He turned towards the woman and said, Simon, have you noticed this woman? How many know Jesus was talking to him because he knew he did? And see, the Lord heard, nothing was said. The Lord knew what was being thought in their heart. As you're sitting here today, if your heart's on, on the word or on something else, the Lord knows what's in your heart right now. And there'll be times when you'll get along with him and he'll talk to you about the thoughts of your heart. How many have had that conversation with God besides me? Amen. And so that's why he's speaking to Simon. Or else he should have said, Simon, you have noticed the woman. When I came into your home, you didn't give me any water so I could wash my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't even pour oil on my head, but she has poured expensive perfume on my feet. So I tell you that all her sins are forgiven, and that is why she has shown great love. But anyone who has been forgiven for only a little will show only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Some other guests started saying to one another, who is this who dares to forgive sins? But Jesus told the woman, because of your faith, you are now saved. May God give you peace. I believe there are two things. In fact, let me just finish this now that we've read that. For Simon, this was one of those times when he wasn't going to get another chance. In the life of Jesus, Jesus only had a set amount of time here. And in your life and my life, there are lots of things we can do over. But Jesus, the opportunity of having Jesus in your house, to be in your city, to accept an invitation to come to your house, it's probably a once-in-a-lifetime event. There won't be, oh man, I messed up so bad. Could you come back next week so I could get it right? No. You, you had this chance and you missed that. And that's what's so important for us to get here is that there are opportunities and, and there are certain things that we don't want to be. I thank God for grace. I thank God for mulligan. But I want to get to a place where I can score well without needing them. I want to get to the place in life where, 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 I'm, where I'm hitting it. I'm making more good shots than bad shots. Are you with me this morning? I want to get to a place where I'm not so dependent upon grace, but I'm a proclaimer of His grace. Amen. And so we're never at the place where we won't be dependent, but not so much where at the point where I'm able to help others more than just needing the assistance myself. Would you agree? So this was one of those times. God's grace is so amazing that He gives us second chances and the opportunity to get it right, not holding our mistakes against our final score. There are two things that I feel the Lord is going to do today based on the two people in this account of His life. For today there is a Simon in the house and there is a woman at His feet, and He has compassion for both and a second chance. And I'm telling you that the Lord spoke to me on Wednesday night as I'm driving up the hill and I'm just thinking and, 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 and I'm going to compare myself to a Simon this morning and being distracted by the wrong things and not really giving the attention to the Lord that I should in my life. And at times being in the presence where people are coming in and are at his feet, but my mind and my attention is fixed on other things. Are you with me this morning? 
And so one thing, I like what the Living Bible says here when Jesus says to, to uh, Simon, the Living Bible says, it says this, you didn't bother to give me water from my feet. You refused to greet me with a kiss and you neglected to anoint my head with oil. Think about this. I wonder how much preparation had got into this meal. How many have ever invited somebody special to your house? We all have. Special friends, special guests comes over, and we make special preparation. So what type of preparation, what kind of plan would you have made if you had been able to get the most amazing man in history into your home? Who would you invite? Surely the best people you know. Who would you not invite? Anybody who would embarrass you. Could I get amen? Amen. Why are we like that in church? Why do we have certain people that we would be embarrassed to have in our house? Thank you for that. Amen. <laughs> See, we don't know who was invited, but we do know who was not. And that's this woman. What would you serve? Probably the best that you could afford. How would you decorate as beautiful as possible? How would the seating be arranged? Who next to who? I watched my daughter planning her wedding, her dream. It was awesome. Planning and arranging and putting together and the flowers and the de- Months and months and months and months. Working over, trying to get the right people to sit next to the right people so they could have conversation. No, no, so they could have something to talk about. Who is here? What are their interests? What are they doing? How, how do you make it so everybody there has an enjoyable time? Coming, working with the NRA, you want to put somebody who is, you know, pro-Obama next to somebody who is NRA, you know, you want to to avoid that stuff, amen. It'd be a great wedding, but they won't have a nice time and somebody might die. (laughs) So, who sits next to who? You would desire for everything to be perfect. This is your moment. The master is coming to your house. Everything is now perfect, and you would say to yourself, this is going to be a day that I will never, never, never forget. For Simon, it became the day that he never, never, never wanted to remember. His day of exaltation became a day of humiliation. Instead of people talking about his liberality, they left talking about his stupidity. He was so intent on making sure that everything was right, yet it became one of those days when everything goes beautifully wrong. How many have had that day? All the preparation, it just crumbles all around you. Simon was a very religious man, acknowledged and invited Jesus to his house, but never fully recognized who he was and why he came. And that's a challenge that God is giving to me and maybe to you today in our walk with God. We need to remember why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come just to be invited to our parties. Jesus did not come just so we could invite, so we could throw a party and decorate wonderfully and invite him here and yet be ignored for the purpose of why he came. 1 John 3 and verse 8, For this purpose the Son of God was made manifest that he might destroy the works of God of the devil. Jesus came. He said, the Spirit of God is upon me, and He has anointed me to set captives free. 
And the day of Pentecost is all about that. That same spirit that was upon him is now upon us. And we are anointed to set captives free. We're not anointed just to have parties and enjoy one another's company. And never acknowledge that the great deliverer is in in our house. And that we are here to be a deliverer in his place and in his name. In the same manner, in the same fashion. Amen. He said that he came for the purpose of casting out demons. I like what this translation says when it talked about him casting out demons. It says he forced them out. He came for the purpose of releasing those who were bound by the works of the devil. In Luke 13 and 18, if you have your Bibles there, just turn there real quickly and you'll see it. Luke 13. Actually, in verse 10, on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue and a woman was there who had been crippled by an evil spirit. A woman was crippled by an evil spirit. And I think this a lot, even in our day today, we don't talk about it very much, but it's amazing how most of the healings that took place in Jesus' ministry were connected to demonic possession. To demons inflicting spirits of infirmity, taking control of people's bodies. We need to walk in that authority once again. And a woman was there who had been crippled by an evil spirit for 18 years. She was completely bent over and could not straighten up. When Jesus saw the woman, he called her over and said, you are now well. How many know that this wasn't going to go well with where he was? But he wasn't there to, to, to he wasn't there concerned about their party, concerned about what's going on. He was there to set captives free. The man in charge got upset. At once she stood up and began to praise God. The man in charge of the synagogue got upset. Said there's six days and when we can come and work, come and be healed on one of those days. First of all, the work of healing isn't your work, it's God's work by grace on your behalf. Amen. Jesus wasn't working, God was displaying his glory. Amen. Verse 15, the Lord replied, are you trying to fool someone? Won't any one of you untie your ox or donkey and lead it out to drink on the Sabbath? This woman belonged to the family of Abraham, but Satan has kept her bound for 18 years. It is right to set her free on the Sabbath. Hallelujah. And what I'm saying is that, that Simon, being a religious man, had acknowledged who Jesus was, but he had no idea why he was there. He wasn't here just for entertainment. He wasn't here just to build a social circle. He wasn't here to climb a ladder of success or prominence and achievement in life. He wasn't here to sit upon the throne of this world. But he was here to set captives free those and take what, what had happened at the fall and to turn it back around and get man back into relationship with the God that he was created for. Jesus came to bring us back into relationship with the Father. And so he came forgiving the woman at his feet who had been bound by the shame of her failures in her past, oppressed by the judgment of those who were less in debt than her. Isn't that amazing when I see somebody that I think is a greater sinner than me, that I judge them harder than I judge myself. And that's what Jesus said to Simon. Simon, there was one who, who was in debt for 500 coins and there was another who was in debt for 50. Which will love them more? I never want to get to the place and I felt the Lord challenge me. I don't want to get to the place where, where I think that my debt wasn't so great. I don't want to forget the day when I got saved, when I had nothing, when I gave my life to the Lord, that He forgave me. I don't want to forget that. I don't want to start living in a way. That will allow me to think, son, that person really needs to get saved. I needed to get saved. 
I needed God in my life and I want to live with that compassion. So when I look at somebody, I don't judge somebody. I can tell them, hey, your debt has been forgiven. Could I tell you what God has done for me? There is a God who loves you, who will forgive you, who doesn't look down upon you. And the safest place you will ever find in this world is at the feet of the one who walked the hill of judgment for your sins. Simon's life was caught up in everything Simon. His friends, his prestige, his prominence, his guests, his party, even his own righteousness. He was so caught up in the fact that he had missed the entrance of the one for whom the whole party was supposed to be for. Or he had at least ignored him. How many know this whole incident is going on because Simon had invited Jesus to his house? This whole situation, this whole party is taking place. And everybody who's there is there in connection to Simon saying, Hey, come to my house. I invited Jesus to be there. Jesus said he's coming to my house. Come and be a part of the dinner that I'm giving in honor of Jesus being in my house. But what happened is that Simon began to honor everybody but the one he had invited to his house. The entrance of Jesus and the guests came at the same time. We think many times that he'll be impressed by who we know and what we've done and what we've prepared for him. It's amazing when you read this story, Jesus doesn't say at any time to Simon, nice party. Can I tell you today what the Lord is here? It's nice that we prepare a nice place for him to worship. It's nice. I love having nice. I love having something that says, God, you're worthy of my best. But Jesus comes and he's only concerned about one thing. Will anybody find their way to my feet? Will anybody find their way to that place of forgiveness in me? Will anybody find their way to the place where I can forgive them, where I can restore them, and where I can stand and speak in defense of them? Wow. We forget that we're not here to carry prestige or power or personality or to show off. We are here to be like Him and to serve. Like Simon, it's so easy for us to be caught up in everything around us and to completely miss Him. And all in the name of ministry for him. I'm thinking this last week and been thinking and, and just meditating over these last several months and stuff. And even serving God for all these years. And, and in all honesty, I believe that, that I have some clarity about the mandate of God that is upon my life. And most of it comes to this, just it's preaching God's word like this. It's declaring God's word in truth. It's not just being a pastor, but it's having a prophetic mantle as well. And a mantle that declares truth in spite of the consequences. And learning to be true to that. But out of the need to be, to want, and everything else that comes with it, in our natural thing, there's something that we strive for and fight for and press for, but there's times we need to pull back and just be true to the mandate that is upon our life. Simon missed his entrance. Or if we read the narrative... In a different manner, he ignored his entrance. See, Simon acknowledged Jesus, but he was not impressed with Jesus. Are you with me this morning? 
And this is what I want to avoid in my life. And this is the area that I felt God speaking to me about. I don't want to just ignore Jesus. I want to continually be impressed with him for the rest of my life. I don't want to get to the place where things are happening around me and he's coming in and I didn't even notice he came in or he came in and his presence is the most important thing about what's happened where we didn't take time to say, Lord, let us welcome you first above everybody else. There should be no one, no thing, nothing that would take preeminence over him. My Bible says that in all things he is to have the preeminence. Would you agree with me this morning? I believe... That he acknowledged everyone but Jesus. For Jesus said to him, you didn't bother to offer me water for my feet. In the culture of that society, even today, it is a, the custom is when someone comes to your house, you would offer them water to wash their feet. In Genesis 19.2, the angel of the Lord came to Abraham. Abraham, see him come, invites him to his tent. Come and let me fetch water that you may wash your feet. And let me prepare a meal for you and rest in my house. And so you'd welcome people in and the customary greeting was first and foremost that they would be able to wash their feet. Thank God for closed shoes and socks today. In those days, with open shoes and sandals and the dirt and everything that goes with it and the stones and, and feet were not manicured. And they were calloused and they were dirty and they were sore. And to be able to sit and to wash your feet was refreshing and welcoming. It was disarming. Amen. If we had a foot washing service today, how many would like somebody to kneel before you and wash your feet? That would be great. How many, how many would be like Peter? Not my feet, Lord. Have you seen my toenails? Have you seen my calluses? I have corns. I have bunions. I have whatever. How many know our feet can be an embarrassing part of our body? But coming in and to be refreshing. But, but that was a custom of the day. And even in that day, the servant who was there. Simon wasn't washing feet. He was a wealthy person. He had a servant who was doing that. And it was the most menial task that you could do. To be the foot washer. Because you had to wash the filth and the dirt off of people's feet. Kneeling before them as they held their feet out. And they were, the, they were the guests and you were the servant. And we forget that in John 13, that's the role that Jesus took with his own disciples. Are you with me this morning? He said, you didn't bother to offer me water from my feet. In fact, in that very same context, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 10, it says that if you're qualifying widows in the church, that a widow must be of six years of age. She must have been faithful in marriage and raised her children. And she must have been given to hospitality, washing the feet of the saints. Wow. Amen. And he says, you refuse me the customary kiss. How many have ever greeted somebody? I love it when Daniel Kanzum comes. And we kiss each other. We greet each other with kisses on the cheek. I love it when Sergeant Benjamin comes and we greet each other with kisses. I love it when you meet people of that culture and the culture is that you embrace and you kiss. We're not making out. We're greeting. Just a greeting kiss. A father and a son when they kiss on the cheek. Hello. Hello. 
and doing that, but the greeting of a kid. And Jesus says, you, you, you refused me. The customary kiss. And then you neglected the usual courtesy of oil. To anoint with oil someone's head and, and, and the fragrance that is there and the perfume and the... How many know there was no right guard? There were no seven-day deodorant pads. Oil was a nice thing in a room. Hello. He says, you didn't even offer me the oil and the fragrance of welcome. But listen to those words again. You didn't bother, you refused, and you neglected. Because one account I read of this is that Jesus slipped in, slipped in through the back door. If he snuck in through the back door, you can't hold somebody accountable for how they greet you when they didn't know you came in. Are you with me? There's no accountability to be held there. Think about it this morning. Every other guest was greeted according to the custom for Simon. For Simon, they were more of value than Jesus. I invited him, but really, I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm glad that you came. Jesus comes in, he finds a seat, no greeting, nothing. He just goes and finds a place and sits down. He gets ready to eat. And at that day, the custom of the culture was there's a, a low table on the floor, and people would sit all the way around the table, large, long tables, and they would lounge on their left side and eat with their right hand with their feet behind them. So laying on pillows, and you're laying down, and you're at the table, and Jesus is there, he's lounging, and he's gone in, and he's gotten ready to eat. And his feet are behind him. And Simon's at the door. Mr. Mayor, I'm so glad you came. Please come. This is your special seat. Oh, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, so glad you're here. Please come have a seat. Please come have a seat. Please. Oh, thank you for blessing me. Thank you for coming to my house. Thank you for being here. I made this beautiful spread. Look at the food. Look at the preparation. Oh, yeah, that's him. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Greeting everybody. Here, here, come. Let, let, me, let me have your feet washed. Greeting, kissing. Oh, I'm glad you're here. Mm. <laughs> glad you're here. God bless you. Oil. He's had plenty of oil that's shining. Yeah, it's awesome. Very oily. Better than chapped. Hallelujah. Every other guest was greeted according to custom because to Simon they were more value than Jesus. Stay with me, please. The question becomes, is he being worshipped? In our service today, I'm thankful <coughs> for our worship. But our worship is not above him being worshipped. I'm thankful for all we have and what God's blessed us with. I'm thankful for every one of you here. But greeting you and meeting you and being with you is not more important than me washing his feet, than me kissing his face, than me anointing him with the oil of my praise. Would you agree with me this morning? Nothing is more important. He 
is why we're here. If we forget the only reason we gather, the only reason we come, is because he's been invited to be in this house. And if he is in this house, everything he is is here. And you could be here like that woman today. You could be that person that is aware of your sin and you're aware of the eyes of accusation and judgment upon you. You carry the the shame and the guilt and the weight of your failures. But because he is here, this is the safest place you could be. And there's a place you can find yourself at to receive his forgiveness and his covering for your life. See, we put the accent on working for Jesus when there is no such thing. Look at what we prepared. Look at what we've done. It's great. We need to do that. We need to make things come, make things night. But the accent should always be upon him. John 4, 24, Jesus said that he, the Father, is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. God values, God's values are not ours. The first here shall be the last there. It is possible for God, I believe, to be getting less worship today than he has ever gotten before. Just because there are multitudes gathered in an assembly does not mean that anybody is at his feet. Are you with me? Out of that whole assembly, out of that whole banquet, one person who was not invited is the only person who had truly acknowledged who he is. Are you with me? I I don't want to miss that opportunity. When we gather, when we come in, I want to remember, Lord, why have we even come into this building? Why did we get up? Why did we get dressed? Why did we get in our car? Why did we drive however far we drove, however we got here, however we came together? The reason we are here is because you are in the house and we have an opportunity to be at your feet in fellowship with others who love you with the same heart that we have. So Wednesday night driving to prayer, the Lord challenged me about truly being at his feet. And I have to tell you, as a pastor, I'm a, I, I, I'm a hands-on doer. And I get too easily caught up in that. And in planning this church and building this church and, and as Pastor Sue said, and starting it and everything else that came along with it, I, I've just conditioned myself to be too much of a hands-on doer. And it's like driving up. Wednesday night and coming to prayer. God just saying, that's more important than all the doing. Are you with me? There are some things that are more important. It doesn't mean we don't do the other things, but getting to the place and God speaking and checking my heart about what I'm doing. Because it's so, it's so easy for each of us. You get in, you get saved, and we want to work, we want to serve. And some of you have gotten so busy serving, you've forgotten to be at His feet. And the way I know, because you have an attitude about your serving. When you get upset and you're looking. <laughs> hallelujah. I feel the joy of the Lord all over you. That's glorious. Hallelujah. Could you just lay hands on me and transfer that spirit to me? Hallelujah. Amen. And, it ha- and people come in, and they, Pastor Shane, they come in, they, they, they come in, and, 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 and they start ministering and serving, and the next thing you know, they're offended because they were serving. And then they leave, because they got offended. Well, wait, if, I, if I'm ministering to him, I'm serving him, I'm at his feet. Amen? 
How many know Jesus didn't get upset because nobody washed his feet? He just got upset. Hey, guys, don't forget. Keep washing. Keep doing. Are you with me this morning? Let me say this to you, and I need to interject this right here. There is a gift that works in me and flows through me that does not come from me. I wish I could tell you I always aspired to be a pastor. I'll be honest with you today. I've had time with pastors too. I said, could we just go get jobs? Amen. I've walked with people that, that have been with you for decades and years and years and years, and all of a sudden something changes and your heart breaks. And people come in, like she says, people come and go through your lives and things, and you just go, hey, it'd be so much easier to just go, just go be people. Not be pastors, just go be people. But then there's something in you that constrains you, and you can't. And that's how you know you're called. Because you can't just come and go. You can't just pick and choose. You, you're given, you're planted, you're constrained. And so there's a gift that works in me. And as your pastor, I have this distinct responsibility to bring you a clear word from God's word that gives you a correct doctrinal foundation that you need to build your life upon. So that you can stand and bear up under the storms of life. How many since you've been a Christian have faced a couple storms? Jesus said, if you hear my word and do my word, this will work. And, and, and there's so many things. We can go to seminars. We have them. We have marriage counseling. We have everything else. But it is a proper doctrinal foundation that will make you the man or the woman of God that you need to be. It will make you the best husband. It will make you the best father. It will make you the best wife. It will make you the best mother. Could I get an amen? amen? And so I have that mandate to do that. And at the expense sometimes of being misunderstood, I avoid most contact in the mornings. Sometimes you wonder, how come pastor never comes out and greets us? How come we don't interact? How come he's the way he is? Because I have a mandate to speak truth to you. And if I get too casual, if I interact too much and do these things like that, then in the moment of, of seeking God, God, what do I need to say? And, and declare it with clarity and truth to the best of my ability, which I flub up so often. But in too much conversation, something can move you off and distract you from the truth that needs to be imparted. Amen. And so it's not for a need of being separated or anything else, but it's that before service, the questions and the conversations won't distract me from the task and hinder the clarity that God's word deserves to be given. Would you agree? Amen. Now, let me close with this. Bill, if you come back to the keyboard. So God spoke to me and challenged me about being at, our, at his feet. And please hear this this morning. In our desire for validation by men... We can miss our opportunity for acceptance by Him. Please hear me. In our desire for validation by men, we can miss our opportunity for acceptance by Him. Simon, looking for validation from everybody around him, missed his opportunity of acceptance. This woman who had no idea of ever being validated by anybody is the one who found acceptance by him. The focus and limelight of this day is suddenly stolen from Simon by an unexpected, uninvited guest. 
a woman, a sinner, had come in and was now interrupting his once-in-a-lifetime occasion. She is at his feet. She is the only one who has truly acknowledged who he is. For she knew how much she had been forgiven. Hear me, true repentance will always bow and kneel at the feet of the one who walked the hill of judgment in their place. I want to never forget that. And I felt this last week that that's what God was challenging me with. That I'd forgotten that. And so much for me in preaching that this morning is not preaching to you but preaching a message of my repentance before you. That I've forgotten to keep myself at his feet the way I should. That I've given myself the excuse of being busy for God and doing these things instead of keeping myself at his feet the way I should and remembering that he walked that hill for my forgiveness. And the only reason I'm here is because he forgave me. If he hadn't forgiven me, if he hadn't restored me, I would not be alive. I remember calling my dad from Billings, Montana and saying, Dad, can I come home and live with my dad since I was two? I said, can I come home? I said, if I can't get out of here, I won't be alive much longer. Because I'd lost everything. I did not care. I did not care about anything. But something inside was pulling on me that I needed to leave and my dad had never been there for me but God had done a work in his life he had given his life back to the Lord and he said yes you can come home so by going there and then him going to New Life Assembly and me going to church I found myself in a prayer room where I gave my life to God but I gave my life as a complete failure and I was at his feet no different than this woman with failure and accusation and, and people looking down upon you. And yet at the moment you find yourself there, when everybody is speaking about you, there's a voice that speaks up on your behalf. And you can read it in John chapter 12, Mark chapter 14, Matthew 26. Six days before the burial, two other women came before the feet of Jesus. And people began to ridicule them. And the Lord spoke up in their behalf and said, leave them alone. And when you and I learn the true secret of why he came and why he came to set us free and deliver us, and we find ourselves at our feet, we get to the place where we no longer have to defend ourselves. If we will keep ourselves there in worship, keep pouring our love out upon him, he will always be the one that rises to our defense and declare his forgiveness over our life, his restoration in our life, and he will send us out in peace. Somebody ought to say amen. It's true that there was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity here and only one person was able to see it and to seek it, seize it. She chose to be there to risk all and to give it all for Him. She found herself in the safest place of her life and she heard the voice of grace, forgiveness, and acceptance defending her against the silent voices of accusations. Because she was why He came. I believe that she was like the woman at the well. Jesus says, I need to go through Samaria. Jesus knew that woman would be at the well at that time on that day. If he knows our thoughts, he is God in flesh. Hallelujah. 
He has the mind of God. He is being led by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit led him to the well to find a woman that he could restore, that he could send to into a city, restored and renewed and forgiven. And she could bring a harvest that he could get no other way but through her restoration. I believe that Jesus knew this woman. The only reason he went to Simon's house because he knew this woman would find herself at his feet in a house where he was not acknowledged, was not being accepted, had not been welcomed, but yet she would find her way to where he was and it would be her day of restoration. Somebody ought to shout amen. And I believe that the Lord knows that you would be here in this house today. And we could be surrounded. There may be one. There might be two. There may be a dozen. There may be a whole house full of people who are aware that He is here. But there might just be one. And maybe it's your day that you need to come. And the reason He is here today, the reason His presence is here today, because He knew you would be in this place at this moment to find your forgiveness. This event is recorded on three separate occasions. And each time only one person had the insight of the Spirit to recognize the season of opportunity that was before them. Turn to the last page of your outline if you would please. The fragrance you pour on Him will always come back on you. The fragrance you pour on Him will always come back on you. And, and I've never smelt this oil but it is so strong and it is so powerful you, you ladies you, you've had two dollar perfume and maybe you've had two hundred dollar perfume but two dollar perfume you have to put on with a sponge to get it to last more than five minutes two hundred dollar perfume you put on with a drop and it lasts for days This oil was so valuable. When it says she gave her all, the equivalent of 300 denarius, a whole year's wages. How long would it take you to save a year's wages? Some scholars estimate that this was 15 years of saving to have this one small vial to bring to his feet in worship. And the moment you begin to pour that and rub that on, the worship you give to Him always comes back on you. And more valuable than that is that it has an abiding presence. Your worship has an abiding presence upon Him. And Jesus, though He wasn't accepted by everybody that was there, one woman came in. So aware of her forgiveness that his tears began to fall. Not having to explain herself. Not having to justify herself. Just being forgiven. She finds herself at his feet and his tears fall. She lets down her glory of her hair. And with tears that are being wept, she dries them with the glory of her hair. And then she opens the most precious treasure that she could bring. Anoints his feet. Begins kissing them. Thanking him. 
this oil is permeating the house. I believe that she wasn't noticed until the oil was poured. And the fragrance began to fill the house. And people knew the value of that fragrance. Can I tell you that hell knows the value of the fragrance of your worship. And when true worship takes place, hell turns and notices. And it'll try to shut it down every time. She worships Him. Not only is He being worshipped, but that fragrance is abiding on her. And He leaves there that day And you read the Gospels, you find very seldom was he accepted in the way that he came. We read it, the woman bent over and he heals a woman. And they ostracized him. They planned to kill him for doing good. But listen, when he leaves there, this oil has such a lingering presence that he continually smells the fragrance of one who knows him. And he was able to go through. And if you read the account in Matthew 26, actually in John 10 first, it says that Jesus was at Lazarus' house and Mary, the sister of Martha, came and took the same oil and poured it upon his head and anointed his head and they got mad at her for that. But that oil upon his head, in his hair, six days before it stayed upon him and it was upon her and she remembered it's not something you could just go and and wash out of your hands it's nothing it is a fragrance that has to wear off and that is upon his head and then two days before he's at Simon the leper's house and a meal had been prepared for him and Bethany and another woman undisclosed of identity comes in and begins to anoint his feet And Jesus says both times, this is for my burial. And hear me, I believe it's that fragrance that when he was agonizing in the garden, most of us after the first time in prayer would have been hard-pressed to go back the second time. But while he's praying and he's, and, and, and he's sweating, he's sweating drops of blood. When you have perfume on and, and, and your body heats up, the fragrance is activated. And Jesus in the garden praying and interceding for you and I, while He's there praying, the fragrance of that worship is activated. He goes, that's why I'm here. He prays again. And He prays again. And while they're beating Him and they're scourging Him, the fragrance keeps coming up. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. Your worship is an abiding presence on His life. Would you bow your head to me this morning?
We know people. But only God knows your heart. 